1: It's to be champions. Oklahoma intended. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an Oklahoma football podcast. Kind of transitioning to the rest of college sports podcast. Uh, I am your host, Peyton Guthrie, one of your co-hosts actually, joined as always by Brady and Alan. Uh, Matt will not be here. Matt was actually at ground zero to witness the Red River uh, game uh, not go the way Oklahoma fans would want it to go. Uh, we'll be jumping directly into that right after these very, very short introductions. Brady, you've got the basketball hoodie, the uh, football hoodie on Oklahoma. You watch the game. I do not have ESPN. I'm one of the cord cutters. I, I'm one of the people who are causing this massive uh, bubble to burst for, for all broadcasting rights. Uh, how was the game? And uh, actually, how are you doing before we get straight to the game? Let's not make this purely transactional. Let's do this doing- relationship like Brent, Brentables does in recruiting.
0: I'm doing well. i I didn't miss like three, threes in a row, like some players did. But yeah, you know what? I mean, we screw me like just screw like how I'm doing. The basketball team just laid an egg in the second half, and that sucks. And everyone's kind of bummed about it. Um, but I will say Texas played very well. Um the Lloyd Noble is an environment that does allow opponents to play very well. So that's that, you know, that's a problem. And um, Porter Moser's entire gig is to try to reverse that and, I don't know if we should expect that in year three, given what he inherited, but um, I like the overall product. I like where it's going, but that was still, I mean, you can have a bad loss against a good team. Texas is a good team, but it's still a bad loss. So it kind of a fucking bummer on a Tuesday night.
1: And Alan, how are you? Let's see if we can do this to be relationship-based.
2: <laughs> well, me, I'm i am great. I'm definitely doing a lot better than Porter Moser will <laughs> be right about now. Uh, Rush you know, cut, just- Alan. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I got, got, uh, got all nice and uh, cleaned up this afternoon. So, uh, but Porter Moser, yeah, he'll be having a tough time. I mean, you know, I, this is what, uh, like four straight losses. I mean, that's to Texas. That's, that's not going to sit well with OU fans. Um, Texas actually looked like the kind of team I think in the preseason, I expected them to look like uh, for the first time, you know, uh, happens against OU of course. For for the first time this season, Um, and you know, I mean, OU looked a little bit like the the team we saw last year, just not much, uh, not able to muster a whole lot of offense. More, it was more than a year ago, but uh, that's not saying a whole lot. So, ugly, ugly loss for OU. Uh, Just now, it's kind of one of those deals where you really can't let that kind of thing uh, spiral. Now,
0: it's almost like the program should have mowed the lawn two years before they actually did. Man, that's just me though. There's just Brady you, going on. There's you. Brady going off about a, an old coach who's not here anymore.
1: I will say, from my limited exposure to the uh, Oklahoma basketball team, it is a much different team. for The games I have watched them play, uh, obviously a lot more bounce, a lot more movement, uh, a lot more activity on the defensive side. But anytime I watched them, I was I kept thinking, oh, only one guy can knows how to shoot the basketball. Uh, does that yeah. basically have? Is that basically how the Texas game, uh, Red River, broke down for Oklahoma? They's were they still so active? Had fight in them? They just couldn't handle the uh, you know the offensive production.
2: Well, here it is: four of nineteen from three. Texas was eight of eighteen. Uh, so I think that uh, that sums it up right there.
0: Really, it's just the half court. I mean, the the thing with Porter Moser's offense, um, it doesn't lend itself very well in the half court when you only have like maybe one guy who can handle the ball in any given situation. Like McCollum's very talented. With the ball in his hands, a little sloppy at times, but he—he's a guy that you can depend on to essentially just dribble around and run an offense, even if guys like throw if if team throws a double at him. But then you're, you're you're depending on guys who are described as athletes to make some open jumpers, and when they're falling, it's great. But for the most part, like as we've seen all year long. Um, outside of the Iowa and a little bit of the USC game, like the shots just won't fall because this team isn't a very talented jump shooting team. Um, the idea is you, you get to that point uh, with better players and his rosters have, I consider year one and year two, essentially the same thing because of what he had to inherit. Um, but so if you look at it that way, year one, two to year three, like the roster has improved. So I'm hoping that that will continue because all it's going to take is just you find a guy who can just come off the bench and shoot. Um, that will open up a lot more opportunities for this offense because, like, in the half court, it can get very ugly unless they're getting out and running because, I mean, Texas was able to clean up the basketball in the second half. OU forced a handful of turnovers and had, like, 14 points off turnovers in the first half, and Texas put the the ixnay on that, and that was basically all she wrote.
1: Yeah, that's what that's would be my you know, experience of watching this basketball team. It's a team that wants to create chaos. I mean, I guess kind of taking it from the best, the baseball uh, side of things, wanting to, you know, get into transition, move, use the athleticism. But, you know, as you play against teams that also have very similar athletic profiles, which I don't think we would ever confuse Texas as a team that couldn't play above the rim, um, you know, maybe that would be an issue at that point in time. Um, still, I'd say if you were looking at the span of seven days, it's not too bad. You you did get a road win. Uh, you do have a home loss, but you did go to Cincinnati. You get the win there. You know the Big Twelve is a meat grinder when it comes to the basketball conference. So hey, you get you get you get a, you get another crack at Texas later on in the year. Uh,
0: Muscles, if you're gonna say meat grinder, you need to say it like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator. I know, I know I know, <laughs> I know,
1: I know, I know. I am actually reading his book. Uh, Be useful uh, currently as part of a. Uh, it's it's not too bad. It's nothing groundbreaking, but it's not too bad.
0: Let's read that to OU's NIL collectives.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is kind of strange <laughs> to say. I'm reading uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's book. Uh, apparently he's got multiple. <laughs> uh, um, it, it's also very funny in his uh, credits. Like, you know, authors who have like the books they've written in the past. He, one of his credits is writing the foreword to the making of Terminator and Terminator 2. So <laughs> you can tell nice. he doesn't have a lot of uh, uh, written acumen at that point in time. Um but yeah, let's, let's jump into that. Oklahoma NIL, uh, Alan, and I actually jumped on this a little bit last week talking about where Oklahoma is when it comes to the transfer portal and come to NIL stuff. Uh, there has been another podcast. you want to listen to them. Uh, Gabe and Teddy, I believe talked a little bit more about the NIL game, uh, and where Oklahoma is. And, uh, the alarms seem to be being raised <laughs> potentially at a podcast. that's much more connected to the, uh, a program than we are from the outside perspective of, of a fan. Uh, I think Alan and I kind of talked about it, basically saying, why spend all your money on rentals and on guys who aren't necessarily fully um, uh, vested uh, in, in your program? Uh, why run around and go out and do that? But my assumption is there's fear in the fan base of saying, are we broke? (laughs) Brady, uh, walk me through some concerns that you may have, or maybe just like reacting off of what, uh, what, what you said you heard on, on that other, on that rival podcast, basically. Can't believe you listen to other podcasts. It's wild.
0: (laughs) Well, let me, let me say the nice, you know, rose tinted crimson colored glasses, uh, take first, because I think that this has something to do with what OU is doing. Um, in this particular offseason because I think we can't assume that however much money is in the pot to sign players out of the portal or out of high school or to retain on your roster because you have to continuously recruit in this day and age, um, I think a good portion of that money probably went to Danny Stutzman and Billy Bowman, and we we all would have wanted them to stay as much as we would want to add like some cool player out of the portal and get that that little euphoric boost in the offseason of like, Oh yeah, now we can jump up in the rankings in the preseason. I think we all would have rather had like those two players return than them walk away to the NFL draft. So I'll say that. And then I'll also say, and I've written about this a few times on some Monday posts. So if you've read up, like I'm going to repeat myself. If you've not read, uh, I don't blame you. Reading is hard. I can barely do it. Uh, but I truly think OU sees their first year in the SEC as a soft launch. They understand what their roster is going to look like in comparison to the rest of the conference. It's going to be an uphill battle, and that's even that's even by saying, or that's even with the thinking that I mean, OU should be favored in quite a bit of these games, and if they're if they're south of eight and four, I mean, sound some alarm bells. At the same time, though, I think OU kind of understands. We have a first-year starting quarterback. We've got a very green offensive line, and that would have been even if Caden Green, no pun intended, just didn't walk out the door. Like It was still going to be a gigantic question mark going into next year in the SEC where all the defensive linemen live. Um, We've got a very experienced defense, but unfortunately with that experience comes the experience that we all have of watching Danny Stutzman in coverage or watching Billy Bowman just – miss passes out in, in midair and just whiffing on hitting the receiver. Like, as much stride as this defense has made um, under Brent Venables, they've still shown the ability to get shredded in the secondary. They've still shown the ability to bleed points and yards, and we've not necessarily shed our poor defensive reputation just yet. We're on the right track, but just jumping into the SEC, like, we have no idea if that's going to just continue to progress in the direction we want or if it's going to stagnate And then we're all going to kind of throw a fit as a result. So when you have all that understanding on your roster going into a completely new conference um, uh, next season, I could understand why OU from a financial perspective might look at, yeah, it would be nice to add this player. If they didn't want a ton of money, we would add them. But if we pay this player, it's not going to put us over the top. It's not going to put us in the conversation to, Uh, win an SEC championship. It's not going to put us in the conversation to contend for a national championship. I mean, if OU is lucky, they lose three games next year and they might get into a playoff in the new 12-team format. Um, I want OU to win every game. I have high expectations for OU, even when they go into a season where I think, yeah, there are quite a bit of flaws on this team um, that that aren't necessarily their fault. You just have to watch guys develop and you don't know until you watch the football get played. Um, so, I can understand why OU might have a more um, frugal philosophy when it comes to the portal on the recruiting trail um, in one particular offseason. If this continues, and we're not going to know that until we watch 2024 and the next offseason, we're not going to know that until then. But if it continues, I think that that's where you should be very alarmed. But if everything goes the way that we want it to on paper, let's say OU goes 8 and 4, and they, they you know, let's say they beat Ole Miss. Um, They beat Auburn. They lose to uh, Bama, LSU, Texas, and whoever else is on the schedule, just whatever else good team. So overall, it's like not a bad first around in the SEC. Um, Players make the right progressions that we want them to. Like Jackson Arnold shows promise. All the freshman defensive players that we are excited for show that they are capable of bright futures. If all that happens – Everyone's going to look at OU in 2025 and go, that is a deep playoff team potential. And that's when you would want to start saying, oh, there's a awesome linebacker um, entering the transfer portal with one year eligibility left. Let's pay the money for that guy. You know, because we have an actual chance to bring individual players through the portal with experience that will put us over the top. So that's my very... Optimistic take on all this. Um, I, I've not I've tried not to get very emotional when I know a player is coming to visit Norman and they don't leave Norman or they they leave Norman without committing to OU. I've I've tried to be very like emotionally detached from it because I've just had this understanding in my own head, um, maybe to defend myself from next year's results, I've just kind of assumed that next year's a soft launch. We will See what works. We'll see what doesn't work and reevaluate in the next offseason because new OC, new DC, new offensive line, new quarterback who we don't know how good or how bad he is with a year under his belt. So a lot to learn. So I understand why you're not paying JAG offensive lineman from Alabama who got worked in the playoff um, by Michigan. I understand why you're not wanting to pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars.
1: No, I think that's actually a very level-headed take on that, of understanding of where Oklahoma is as a program. The The issue that I, I seem to have is we've got some people doing some, you know, back of the napkin math when it comes to NIL stuff. It's saying, okay, uh, you know, we can get $80,000 at, at, at Owen Field. If the, everyone gives $10, that's 800000 And you do that by 12 months. It's almost $10 million. You know, and you're doing stuff like that. And they're like, why can't we get that amount of money? And- you know, maybe that's a valid question. Now, why is this? Why are these collectives? Why is, you know, the the one that's officially endorsed by the University of Oklahoma, the Crimson and Crim Collective, why is it not able to do more public outreach or maybe do a more sustainable public outreach in order to get uh, that amount of a, you know, a, for lack of a better term, a grassroots uh, uh, crowdfunded, um, uh, you know, system in place. Um, luckily for us, we've had Jason Belzer on, through the keyhole and this Patreon podcast twice (laughs) talking about NIL and talking about uh, Crimson and Cream Collective uh, specifically, uh, he's over student NIL or or athlete NIL, I believe, which is the overall umbrella corporation or umbrella system that then uh, controls, or at least heads up X amount of these uh, Crimson and Cream is part of that. Uh, And he'd even mentioned, Hey, we, uh, you know, Oklahoma cash on hand is like 12th to 10th in the sec. That this is about a year ago he's like if you were to add up just crunch pure numbers oklahoma is behind like just money wise he's like but the one of the reasons why we believe oklahoma is in a good place be it it's collective is that we believe it is the best run most efficiently run collective in the sec now maybe that's somebody selling their own product uh, but he, you know they also oversee florida's collective Ole Miss's collective i believe tennessee's collective as well and he kind of mentioned that oklahoma was not quite doing Moneyball, but they're like saying we are identifying people who fit our culture and fit our team and fit our program, and those are the guys we're going after. You know, either it's recruits or, or people in the portal um, and people who can do that type of thing. They're not going to overspend on un. They're they're not going to go out and get people who aren't going to contribute. I mean, just look at what Oklahoma did last year. That's probably just from my personal opinion the top of what you're going to get. know, Balthroyd, Rouse, uh, all those guys who contributed, not superstar players or anything like that, but they solidified the defensive line, they solidified your offensive line from that perspective. Now, going out and getting Burks this year may be one of the only times Oklahoma go gets gets a toy, (laughs) you know, from from that perspective. Um, So that's something I do have a little bit of an issue on is saying, if I have the guy who runs... (laughs) these, these multiple collectives and overseas at the end of the day, Crimson Cream Cream Collective. And he's telling me that Oklahoma is like 10th in cash. That's an issue. And I don't know how you fix that. Now that said, he had also issued, he had also stated, again, this is our public podcast. uh, also stated that the ground roots, uh, you know, crowdfunded was a path that was kind of forced upon Crimson Cream Collective at that point in time. Uh, Before other people who donate large amounts of money to the university and to the program, before they wanted to get involved, Uh, they'd already like promised they would, but they wanted to see how the grassroots side of it grew first to see if it could become more of a self funded or self sustaining model, uh, tapping into the Oklahoma, you know, sooner nation, as they say, uh, before then they'd go in and say, I'm doing a million dollar, you know, that type of a thing, Uh, you know, because those type of announcements are always like a big thing. Thank you to the so-and-so family for spending. I think they wanted it to be that type of thing, so the that the collective itself would be somewhat self-sustaining via the fan base, the normal fans, Uh, and then those big people would come in on top of that to kind of take it over the top from that point in time. But Oklahoma, I think the initial launch of that did never met the million dollar goal they set. I don't think they got all too close, to be honest with you. So uh, they stumbled out of the gates. They weren't able to merge together multiple NIL, multiple collectives that Oklahoma was uh, was competing against each other for just a limited amount of money. Uh, And I think it's something that uh, Alan will probably speak on. I just don't know how much more you can continue to ask Sooner Nation (laughs) to give just a little bit more. You know, you're up there on on the uh, uh, pulpit (laughs) saying, you know if we can get into heaven if we can just get one more one more plane uh you know in the air uh you know it you know it, it's not righteous gemstones uh in oklahoma so that was a bit of a rambly from that part of it but the the money side of it and it being so uh, opaque or non-transparent uh it makes it kind of rough uh to be a full to be a full uh investor in that i mean i donate personally ten dollars a month we ran a we ran a very short poll on the twitter just for a day and I think they—I think uh, of everyone who voted. Only forty percent of people do uh, give. The people who uh, 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 responded to that poll is only like a hundred or so. Um, so only like forty out of a hundred people uh, did that. Against a super small poll, uh, but these are people who follow Oklahoma podcasts and Oklahoma accounts. you think they would be more invested in doing something like that, uh, and even then, they weren't doing that. So I don't know why that's not translating. Um, from fandom to ten dollars a month to a
2: collective. I mean, Alan, what, what are your thoughts on all this? Oh gosh, I got a lot. I mean, you know, it's a very um complex and really kind of convoluted subject. I mean, one of the things that is always funny to me is when you start explaining how a collect how the collectives work, how they're operated, administered, uh, it just seems so dumb because <laughs> you've you've, you know, inserted essentially, uh, uh, you know, a middleman in in this, you know, to oversee something that, you know, the benefit is, you know, going to OU football, for example, right? But you've got this collective that's sitting in the middle that has to, you know, essentially siphon off money to, to pay its own, I mean, to make it economically feasible to have someone running this, you know, I mean, I look around some of these, you know, some of these other collectives where you've got, big donors that recognize the opportunity at the beginning to you know use this to their advantage and built out their own collectives they hired their own people to run them that type of thing you know and i don't know what role OU administratively has had in that versus OU donors i mean the whole thing i don't know i mean you could take this a lot of different ways i tend to think that um you know, I mean, you can when it's different because every year these guys can come back and and renegotiate what they're doing, right? What what their deal is with the you know with the collective. So, like, I think I'm trying to think about like from that kind of long term perspective, and you know, potential issues with you know, if you overspend now, does that mean you don't have you know, if you spend a dollar today, does that mean you don't have a dollar in the future to spend, right? I mean. Course, it's it's money, it's it's finite. But like that's not always a great reason not to spend the money now. Um I I personally think that looking at it, you want in my opinion, to be rewarding the players who come into your program and you know excel. You want to make you want to show them that they can come here and if they're productive. And if they, you know, do what they do what they're supposed to do, do what they need to do, you know, they'll be rewarded with, you know, market competitive rates, um, and you know, I mean, be able to have, a, you know, a, a profitable career. at you, I think that right now what we're seeing in kind of this uh, spending spree from some of these collectives, you know, it, it reminds me of kind of overspending uh, in the NFL on free agents. You know, I mean. Now you're kind of sad. Like if that guy doesn't hit, I mean that, you know, that could be a huge, uh, you know, hole in your kind of in your cap structure because that's dead money if the if the player is just worthless, right? Or uh, even even if they you're not even worthless if they get hurt if you know whatever happens, right? So looking at it from my perspective, um, I mean i I kind of I think that. Brent Venables has a pretty good approach. I I think that the um idea that oh is, is OU broke. I mean, I think that if if you know OU was saying we want to go out and make a huge splash and we're going to go chase down all these guys that are leaving Alabama right now or leaving wherever, um. You know, you might see a different level of fundraising going on. You might, you know, I mean, you might see more more money being raised. But if they're telling if they're telling boosters keep your powder dry, and we'll, you know, we'll see what happens next year. That's a whole different story. The last thing I want to bring up is the crowdfunding that you guys <laughs> had mentioned, because this is like if you think about it, you know, someone donating, you know, like let's say you do $25 a month, that's $300 a year. I mean, that's hardly anything. I get that. It's more than zero, but $300 for, I mean, you get a thousand people who are, you know, at that level, that's 300 grand. That's half probably of what they paid Dylan Gabriel, if I had to guess, I mean, and on top of that, that's before you start taking out all the fees that it, and everything that it costs to raise that money and to administer the collective. And then think about what that means in terms of the overall amount of money that's getting distributed to athletes too. I mean, that that rate all of a sudden looks worse because you're spending more money to raise. You know, I mean, like the juice isn't really worth the squeeze there. Um, and so, like. Uh, and, and I mean, it's damn near unethical to be like, you know, saying saying to people like, you know, you're donating this money to uh, this collective to uh, spend on the players. When in reality, it costs if it costs fifty cents or sixty cents to raise that money and to administer those funds. I mean, you know, you're not you don't mean to give a dollar and have forty of it forty cents of it go to the player. You know what I mean? Like the whole thing, like the just. Like get over the crowdfunding thing. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's something I wanted to mention. uh That I was just trying to bat around some people. It's like, yeah, again, I only give ten bucks a month. Maybe I should give more. Maybe I shouldn't. Whatever. I give ten dollars a month. To me, I'm like, hey, you should be able to do this. You know, like I said, in my math, if you just do the back of the napkin math you get eight people. I mean, you get 80,000 people fill that stadium, giving 10 bucks a month over 12 months, you got $10 million. Like if you can't, if you can't go and get enough people to give $10 a month, that's on you. It's not on me to give more money. You know what I'm saying? It's like your job is to sell this collective and sell the need of it. Oklahoma's always been able to get players. They had this number seven recruiting class. I mean, currently, uh, beyond, you know, barring some crazy stuff in February, but I get a little heated on that point. Uh, but the part of it is, is where people aren't seeing, Alan, he's brought up, what is the percentage of my gift, <laughs> my, you know, my donation actually making it to the players? Is it 50%? Is it 40%? Is it 70%? I mean, that would change a lot of people's mind. Should they want to do this? <laughs> you know, do they want to give this money from that point in time? I also want to know Joseph, uh, Joseph, de Leon has mentioned multiple times. He says, yeah, the, the next step is the players union. That is the next step. Things like there is, you know, this stuff is currently being argued in Washington, D.C. in front of Congress. We do, and you can tell the teams who are they they're basically saying we have a very short window of time to spend every cent we can, because something is coming down the line, don't know what it is, but something is coming down the line and it will change how we're able to operate in this space. So well, let's just spend and figure out whatever happens, happens. But Oklahoma seems to be doing a thing of saying, we're trying to look ahead. These players will soon be employees, or at least some sort of, uh, they've already apparently already knocked down the idea of having contracted like to do uh, like wrestlers for, for WWE. If you didn't know, WWE wrestlers are not actually employees of WWE. They're independent contractors that avoid some from having to pay health insurance and so on and so forth. But these seem to be eventually will be full-time employees of these schools and this NIL thing will just vanish. I mean, potentially, I mean, they will still be there. You can still do stuff, but University of Oklahoma, I mean, SEC and the big 10 schools are like, hey, we we make a hundred million dollars a year just on TV. Let's just make a little salary cap and go buy our teams. You know, I mean, it just seems like it's petty chump change right now that certain teams are overreacting because in my opinion, this is all going to change very very quickly in the next yeah. year, two years.
0: I mean, I think OU would want to get they doesn't OU want to get to a place where the athletic department is running what the collectives are essentially trying to do because the athletic That's, department yeah. yeah, the athletic department at OU is one of if not the most profitable athletic department in the fucking country. Like OU isn't broke. As someone who works for the university and has had to um, help tell the story of the lead on campaign, which is university wide, but athletic donations are a part of that lead on campaign. For those that don't know um, was soft launched, what, two years ago. And the goal is to, it's a 10 year goal for OU to raise ten, um, $2 billion. And obviously that's a lot of money. It's a long time, but it's still a lot of money for, um, uh, for 10 years. OU in just a year and a half, because they actually launched it officially and publicly, Think last spring or maybe last summer, um, they've raised 725 million dollars, and that was back in August. And this is just from Sooner Sports back in back in August of 2023, um, fiscal year 2023. The athletic department raised 79 million dollars um, since July 2020. They've raised 240 million dollars. Oh, you wouldn't broke. So anyone telling you that OU's broke just doesn't know anything. Now, I think the thing that fans want to know, guys, and this is just a, it's a question we can't answer because all this is not transparent. It's all bullshit. Um, How much of it is, how much of it is cheating? How much of it is under the table? Like we're never going to know, but what fans want to know is, are, is OU not signing these players out of the portal because Ole Miss or Tennessee or Ohio state or whatever, because they have more fans that are willing to donate more money than us. And that makes us feel bad because, Oh, Ohio state must have like 10,000 fans donating a hundred dollars each. And OU has like 500 people donating $10 like yourself, Peyton, like it, that, that's, that's why we're not getting players. And that's why we're for Oklahoma. If you, if you want to donate money to collectives, like please do so. I mean, Peyton, you do it. You're, you're public about it. That's awesome. Um, if you don't want to, that's also fine, because like Peyton mentioned, it's going to get to a point where it's not going to be shady. It's not going to be an environment where the Oregons and the Missouris and the Ole Misses can't compete with the big boys. Like It's not going to be like that for long, because the big boys don't want it to be that way. Uh, the Blue Bloods want to continue running the sport, and their voices hold the, mo- uh, the most water when these conversations are being had amongst the suits in D.C., so I'm not worried about it. Having said that, and we can get into this later, like, I, I don't want to just let this all be about my opinion, but, oh, um, you also can't have it both ways where, oh, but we're going to be very creative about it. I mean, that's cool results. It's sports. Like, it, it just, you know, say, like, say, like, yeah, we're looking ahead. Like, we, we're looking at this from a big picture standpoint, and that way the fan base understands, okay. I know what my expectations should be for next season in 2024. Without without somebody from the coaching staff or that works for the program coming out and saying like, "Yeah, we expect to lose three to five games next year," because you, you don't you don't you don't get into sports to lose. Like, oh, he's going to try to win every single game. But I think we understand the law of the land at this point. So you can't have it both ways. It sucks that we can't communicate. Like where OU ranks in terms of their fund like their fundraising from fans compared to other schools across the country because we're just not there yet but I think in a year to 3 years it's not going to be like this so OU isn't broke don't worry about that when it becomes official OU is going to be signing all like top 5 classes top 10 classes with regularity in both out of high school and through the portal so I'm not too worried
2: well and like one last thing too like, where's where's the evidence that OU has been really hurt by any of this? I mean, let's start to out. think about yeah, it. I mean, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, but it's kind of putting the car before the horse to, you know, all of a sudden declare, like, this is a huge problem. I mean, I, I thought that, for example, I think we brought back. I mean, I thought that actually Walter Rouse probably worked out pretty well and is a pretty nice example. I, I think a lot of schools would have liked to have gotten that kind of return on a player. I mean, a guy who's able, you're able to star him at left tackle the whole time he performed well. You know, I mean, I, he wasn't a superstar, but he was good enough. I mean, what- and on top of that, you didn't blow out you, from, from what I understand about what you paid. Uh, you know, he probably got a little bit of a premium book market rate, but you know, you didn't break you didn't break the bank for him, and that's not going to cause issues with other players. I mean, to bring in a guy at an obvious position of need due to an injury from you know to uh, one of your players during the bowl game. I mean, to me, <laughs> like let's let's see how this also kind of works. You know what I mean? How it plays out down the line.
0: I mean, wasn't Desamacola one of the most ballyhooed defensive players in the portal last year?
2: Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he
0: was he yeah. was like the big reason why a lot of media personalities in the offseason were saying OU is going to be improved next year because they got a player like Dasan McCullough. You insert him on, in a Brent Medibles defense, Brent is now able to do a little bit more um, defensively. And as the p- season played on, like Dasan was a really good player when he was able to play in a situation that benefited his strengths. But when he had to get in coverage – You know, he he didn't seem like the player that should have garnered that much hype, at least at this point in his career. He could develop into a very special player for all we know. But just what we saw last year, it's like, I'm glad we got him. But he only really played because uh, Justin Harrington got hurt, for all we know, because Justin Harrington was the starter. So, I mean, to me, I prefer OU to be smart with their um, divvying out of cash for players. I would always err on the side of I would rather recruit kids out of high school um, mm-hmm. than just be a portal mercenary. Um, but again, I'm still open for nuance because there are going to be years where you need to rely on developing the kids that you've recruited out of high school, like 2024 is going to be all about. And then there are going to be years where you are a rather stacked team and like, hey, we need we need a slot guy. Let's go pay the money or hey, we need a left tackle. Let's go get the best one on the market because that would shore up everything. And on paper, set us up for success for the following season. So I'm all about that. But at the same time, it's going to be hard to remind ourselves of that if OU is kind of stuck in the mud in 2024, even though I think we would all agree that it's going to get better pretty quick, um, pretty soon, um, both on the field and in terms of making all this NIL shit official.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one one last point that I'll bring up, too. Look at, like, for example, Ole Miss, right? Last year, they signed out of high school. They signed 16 kids, right? OU signed 26. This year, so far in 24, 24 I don't think OU is going to have anybody else, but they've signed, I believe, 28 players, uh, 20, 27. Uh, Ole Miss is at uh 22 and I think like they had again something a a low number 21 maybe uh, 22 okay so keep in mind part of the reason why Ole Miss is paying so much for some of these players is because they have a hole to fill they have an immediate need that where they need which is part of what you know this whole go to the uh portal every year is going to is going to cause I mean you know players are going to see oh man Ole Miss really needs a left tackle they don't have anybody on the roster so you you, they end up being able to hold out for more money from them I mean like that's the kind of stuff you also have to keep in mind you mentioned
1: it was going to be the last point but it's not I apologize (laughs) (laughs) I, I think this is just the most interesting topic in college football beyond just the games themselves uh not to go full a Jimmy Carter crisis of confidence uh on us but I think what you're seeing from, from fan bases, not just Oklahoma fan base, because my, I myself have to battle with myself when I hear, Oh, this LSU offensive tackle looks like he's going to Oklahoma and all of a sudden he signs of Tennessee. I think, damn it. You know, but I understand, Hey, this is a year long thing. It's year after year. You keep building. This isn't an overnight thing at that point in time. I do believe, um, Let's take like a Stanley cups, right? Not the cocky Stanley cups, but the the, the mug things, uh, and how they're being handled uh, via the via the uh, capitalist market that we live in right now. They are dropping in very selective uh, small uh, batches they're doing collaborations in which will drive up demand and then those demands are shortened you know artificially because they only make x amount of them to drive up price maybe not price but at least drive up demand so they all sell out and so their name is being held up very well i think the most recent one uh, that got the news everywhere was the starbucks collaboration you had people like camping outside of targets and stuff in order to get these special uh, starbucks stanley uh mugs for 50 bucks you know so The transfer portal, in my opinion, is much like that, because there's only a very small percentage of players in which you want to spend money on. Uh, The portal is full of players. (laughs) They're all in there. (laughs) But there's only so many of them that are actually good, uh, or good enough for a a place like the University of Oklahoma could see and say, this is an upgrade, or this is something we need, we would need them. And because of that, then you get every other school that has a very large NIL collective, They also want said player, because if University of Oklahoma would want that player, Bama would want that player, Ohio State would want that player, and then you start playing into a game where it's just basically we can just keep, you know, spending more and more and more and more and more on this limited supply, or we can do the thing that's going to be there every single year, which is high school (laughs) recruits. So there's that part of it. Do you trust your own? Uh, development, and I would believe Oklahoma is a an above average to a borderline great development school. Uh, it's not necessarily like an Ohio State where they take a zero star and get them drafted. I mean, Oklahoma's taking three and four stars and getting them drafted you know, at a pretty high clip, so I'm not going to say they're like the best school at that, but if you were to put, I think in the, in the last like 20, 30 years, if a if an average player went to Texas and an average player went to Oklahoma, there's a higher chance they get drafted if they go to Oklahoma. You know what I'm saying? Because there's that developmental phase that just seems to be there from a, on a program level. That's something I'm kind of batting around in my head that there is an artificial, maybe it's not artificially, but there is only just a certain amount of talent which you seem to say these are the guys. And um, they get paid for. And then the fans, they see, uh, you know, the, 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 the Twitter um, graphic guy saying, you know, former five-star offensive tackle, even though he was recruited four years ago and really hasn't panned out, but you still say and it was a, five-star and it was a Jag. <laughs> yes. Yeah. and yeah, signs exactly. with Tennessee. Then everyone's like, Oh man, we missed out on this five-star player. It's like, no, you really missed out on like a three-star rotational guy. Uh, so yeah. there, there's some of that part of it too. And you know, which we need to, Um, If you haven't listened to the crisis of confidence speech, go for it. It's during a recession. He's basically, Jimmy Carter's basically saying, you're the cause (laughs) Uh, uh, to really sum that up. And I think right now, if you're an Oklahoma fan and you're really getting caught up in this sit back and think, am I the re Has there been any real, like what Alan said, has there been any real harm to the program? Or do I feel like I'm missing out because I don't have the Oklahoma Stanley mug uh, that uh, they only made a hundred of, you know, that's think about it from that perspective, set yourself down and think, why should I worry now to Brady's point, my, it does sound like they're expecting EPL to play. There does sound like they're expecting Jaden Jackson to play. They're expecting David stone to play like immediately. Uh, So if that is the case, it probably is a soft launch, Uh, but that said you know it's chinese proverb the best the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago second best time is right now oklahoma's planting the seeds right now that that's how you have but to think about that's but that's where
0: you should have like the people that have been very vocal for um in their confidence for like bill Beanbow. well if you if you have to start an 18 year old out of high school their true freshman year um on the offensive line i mean you'd want your coach to be bill beanbo because he's probably the the best coach in the country in terms of putting that type of player in the best position to succeed that early in their career. Um, does that guarantee success? No. Um, but I mean, we've got a very wide margin for error, at least in in that respect. So like, yeah, it sucks to not have the euphoric moment in the off season where Hayes Fawcett tweets, Oh, you land some Jag from Alabama who got worked in the playoff game against Michigan, but Hey, he, he played for Nick Saban. Um, yeah, I get that. Um, but I think what would be more important is like the two Jakes on the offensive line. If they hit, if they're good, it's fine. You know, all my concerns about the offensive line kind of go out the window. If Josh Bates, whoever's going to be center hits, it's fine. We're going to be fine. You know, like we're going to be relatively as successful as we've been, you know, over the last two decades. So, um, that's what we need to happen now you bring in experienced players to increase your margin for error and not have to depend on we have to have these guys hit but again my fail safe is well i trust bill bimbo because of the track record even though going into next year at this point with what we have i'm not very optimistic but if gun to my head i'm like i'd rather have him coaching them than somebody else
1: yeah i do want to mention that there, there's a couple of uh uh, public Oklahoma fans or public Oklahoma bloggers or something, they are kind of seem to be making some money, uh, making some hay uh, off of, uh, you know, hating uh, the offensive uh, line coach for University of Oklahoma. And um, in my personal opinion, it could not be more misguided and it could not be a more uh, of example of gaslighting uh, that you could, yeah, you could see um, uh, at this university. I mean, just look at, I mean, Brady's mentioned starting a freshman at, at tackle that seems insane oklahoma did that not too long ago if anton harrison and now that dude plays for the jaguars because he's drafted in the first round you know tyler hey, guyton gonna, was a tight end but was a backup tight end two years ago at tcu will more than likely be drafted in the top 15 in the nfl draft i mean and that's one guy doing all that <laughs> you know so if you're going to complain about that if you're going to complain about the issue oklahoma finds itself in the issue, as Alan already wrote about uh, on the Patreon, walked out from this program two years ago, in which, <laughs> you know, maybe didn't make OU take uh, four offensive linemen in a two-year span, mm-hmm. but that's what they did.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That was a very very long opening topic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the second <laughs> one would be a little bit easier. Uh, where does uh where do we want Brady to go? I mean, I think his contracts up with the Buccaneers. He's out on the playoffs. Uh, performed. As well as he could, uh, mean Baker, from, yeah, Baker. I Who did I say?
2: I I didn't realize. <laughs> Brady's like what? I'm on the chopping oh, Brady, block. Baker, Baker, <laughs> Baker, Where
1: should Brady go? The NIL collective. Uh, where should uh, yeah, Baker Mayfield? Where should he he should go? Um, uh, I mean, I don't know. If I were him, I guess there's a, there's an aspect of wanting to stay somewhere <laughs> that you feel uh wanted to maybe get some consistency on it, but the Bucks have to like right, sign like half their team back. <laughs> in order to do this uh to me i'm looking at you know i think i mentioned it and alan uh had kind of maybe uh echoed it as well you know if, if Atlanta falcons go the uh you know Bel- belichick route of making that higher or something like that i see what atlanta's up to they need a quarterback they've got some weapons already out there uh and you just kind of make your life a little bit easier uh from that perspective but that's somewhere i would think but i wouldn't blame anyone and think hey it's right onto the buccaneers from that perspective but I mean, Alan, where do you think uh Mayfield's next stop should be in the NFL?
2: Yeah, I mean, I like the Atlanta idea you had because of the pairing with Belichick. I mean, there were a lot there was a lot of talk back when uh Mayfield was going through the draft process that uh the Patriots at the time were very, very high on him and were hoping, you know, he would maybe fall uh, you know, maybe like back half of the top ten or something like that. Maybe they could sneak in and get him. Of course, that didn't play out that way. But uh, you know a Belichick pairing there, and you know Atlanta's got quite a bit of talent. Um, you know, so that would be another. I mean, I think that'd be a really good spot for him. Uh, otherwise, I mean, gosh, it seems like he's got a good thing going in Tampa the way he he's uh, led the team and the you know kind of uh, popularity he has there. So that that'd be another one. I mean, I'd have to go look around at the other kind of opportunities or options that are out there because a lot of them aren't going to be good. I mean, new England, you know, or something like that. I mean, give me a break. That sounds awful. I mean, then again, the money could be different, but that's, uh, you know, so I, I, Atlanta seems to be Atlanta, Tampa Bay. Those are the two I'd be focused on.
1: Yeah. And if I were him too, and the idea is keep getting to the playoffs, you stay in the NFC South.
2: Yeah. That's (laughs) that's
1: also true. Right. You just got to win like three conference games. You're good yeah. to go. Brady, what what about you? I mean, I know you're staying, but what about Baker Mayfield?
0: Uh, really what I wish would happen is after watching Tua quarterback the Miami Dolphins for two, three years, um, I would love to watch Baker Mayfield quarterback the Dolphins because man, if they had a quarterback who just wasn't afraid of the moment, they'd be pretty damn good. Fortunately, they're probably gonna be stuck for with Tua for quite some time. So I don't I won't get my wish. Um I, I mean I I hope Tampa wants him back and I hope they I hope they pay him and I hope that Baker also after his roller coaster of a career in the NFL um after being humbled somewhat I hope he also independently decides I'll take a little bit of a uh I'll take a little bit of a discount to help build this team because the Bucks are fairly set I don't want him going to Atlanta, man. Like, I don't want him going to another bad team, another bad franchise. Um, Baker has a chance. Like, I don't think he's ever going to wash away the the tag of being a bust because he was a number one overall pick. Um, I think he has a very nuanced career. Um, obviously, as an OU fan, I wouldn't see him as a bust. I see him as a successful NFL quarterback, um, which is not easy to do um, when he's been healthy and when he's had adequate talent around him. To help him in the most ultimate team sport in the country in the world, Um, he's proven to be a um, fairly high end NFL quarterback that can help win help you win games, win games on his own, and lead a franchise and lead a locker room. I mean, guys like him, guys like playing with him for a reason. So I hope that that's the case um, because Tampa seems to be fairly set. There's just fewer there's fewer holes on that roster that they need to fix. In order to maybe take a step forward, um, as opposed to him going to a bad team just to make the most money. Because, I, again, I think if Baker is able to stay with a solid franchise and maybe get in, improve that roster, I think he can gobble up a few more playoff wins. Maybe, you know, if the ball drops his way, maybe gets to a conference championship game. And then the, the story on Mayfield's career in the NFL is completely changed if he's winning playoff games and winning big games um, every Sunday. So, I mean, that's what I want. So maybe there's another team out there. Um, at this point, I don't know, but again, I'm a dolphins fan. So watching him just shred Detroit and be the only reason why they were in that game in the first place. And he threw a bad pick to in the game that sucked and that that's on him, but watching that, I'm just like, God, this would have been awesome. Um, this would have been awesome. Uh, Throwing to Tyreek or Jalen Waddle, handing off to Devon Achan, that, that that would have been awesome instead of panicky ass Tua.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think your point about the uh, the, the discount thing—if um, I were Baker, I would get as much money as possible because I don't think it's, he I don't think he's going to demand a con uh, an NFL quarterback contract. Where it'd be prohibitive of them building a team around him. Uh, I, I think he's not gonna. That's just my personal opinion. I I, I don't know any of this stuff, but just don't they? Need he's to in bring, He's in a very. He, I'm sorry.
0: I was gonna say, is it is it Mike Evans a, a free agent?
1: They need to bring back like half their team almost. That's <laughs> that, that, that's the that's hard why, part about like, them. Yeah, I
0: mean, you you're probably right. I'm just assuming that the Bucks are gonna need every dollar that they're yeah. that they're going to need that's to true. Maintain their roster. So, I mean, let's. What's what's the. What's everyone thinking, like anywhere from 15 to 20? 15 to
1: 20 is kind of, you know, based on NFL inflation and quarterback rates, I would assume he gets $20 a year, but I haven't seen, I would have to look at other contracts and stuff like that from that perspective. Uh, But yeah, he's not, that wouldn't be prohibitive to build around. The issue of Baker is is the following. He's not an NFL rookie on the cheap NFL rookie deal, and he's not the top tier guy. So if that's the case, there's like 10 to 15 of those available every year. So why would you commit to one? Like, that's where Baker's at. Like, because a Baker can play. I, I think I said to some friends, Baker is perfectly fine as an NFL quarterback. And some people see that as an insult. And to me, I'm like, no, that means you are a starter. You can be trusted to play the game. <laughs> but the issue is you're not bringing a ton more above the table. You know what I'm saying? You're not, I don't, you know, you're not, a, you know, a Josh Allen, Mahomes, something like that, you, where you want to invest $50 million a year because you have to keep a hold of those guys. You know, I mean, if you put Geno Smith on the Bucks again, please don't, please don't take this as a major insult. Geno has done good the last few years uh, when he's actually got a chance to start and be in a, a consistent system. You know, you could get similar things. You can get a Kirk Cousins. You could get something like that where you could, you could, you could get similar. ROI on that type of contract. Now, Kirk Cousins is probably going to cost a lot more and he's a choking dog. So it's a little bit of a difference there. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 but I think that's just where Baker is. So, in my personal opinion, I think Atlanta would be fun because you got the, you got really good wide receivers. You got good, I think they've got a couple good wide receivers. You got a really good tight end. Mm-hmm. You got the good running back. Then all of a sudden, if you hire Belichick, you got someone potentially who could get the system worked out on that defense. And then you're cooking. Uh, Tampa Bay, I don't know. I don't know. But maybe, yeah, to me, those are two options. Stay in the NFC South, Atlanta, Tampa Bay. But if you have anything else, if anybody listening to this has, like, where's your dream that Baker would go to? Like, I, I at one point in time, um, when he was being offloaded from the uh, Browns, and the the Broncos hadn't quite yet destroyed their franchise uh, with the Russell Wilson trade, I was kind of thinking, hey, him in Denver would be fun. That's nice. You, you know, you could win some games, go to the playoffs, while potentially you're trying to do the future building stuff around him, you know, getting defensive, defensive tackles or offensive linemen or, you know, uh, wide receivers. Uh, that did not happen. But uh, yeah, uh, comment to us, uh, yeah, comment at us, <laughs> uh, let us know where you think uh, you should go there for a uh, Baker Mayfield in this next stop in the NFL. Uh, we're running a little bit long. So um, I want to skip out on the Heisman odds from uh, uh, Jackson Arnold. He is currently favored and not favored currently a projected 18 to one Heisman odds, which is a, uh, Pretty, I guess pretty good for a guy who's only played one game. So uh, Who congratulations. Who turned the ball
0: over so much, yeah. That's true,
1: <laughs> It's true. He had 16 interceptions that day. Uh, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll go ahead and do some uh, homekeeping here, housekeeping here. Um, there is a very interesting article I wanted to talk to, but again, for the uh, uh, bit of time here, and maybe we'll get into it a little bit. Uh, the idea of talent drain or the attrition of talent when it came to alabama versus oklahoma when oklahoma had to handle that two years ago of the uh uh departure of lincoln riley and where alabama is right now with the retirement of nick saban uh alan would you mind giving us like a, a short kind of a recap on that and what are your findings
2: well no i mean you know i just found it very interesting looking uh back kind of at uh you know the situation when lincoln riley kind of you know took off in the middle of the night um I remember a lot of people saying, oh, okay, well, this is going to be like one of the first big kind of, you know, cases here of a, a major program and and you know how how the transfer portal and the relaxed movement restrictions uh, impact and NIL all at once, you know, kind of impacts a, a program, a major program. And what we saw was that OU lost a huge piece in Caleb Williams, who followed Lincoln Riley, which you know is, makes sense. That's why he came to OU in the first place, right? But then, for the most part, I mean, you look at the players that OU had in in that class; hardly hardly any were you know ending up at uh, other you know kind of uh, programs on par with OU, and really, not many were ending up in uh, even Power Five schools. And it got that, you know, I mean, you know, Venables gave, you know, famously kind of gave everybody on the team, you know, he said he he was given that 12 months of grace or whatever. And you had then the players who did stick around, tried to make their way. A lot of them left and very few of them ended up on power five rosters. Now the players that are entering the transfer portal from Alabama, I mean, something like 27 out of 28 or some that have uh, gone into the portal so far this year have ended up at power five teams. You're also seeing guys, I mean, good night. I mean, who knows what Caleb, Caleb Downs got from Ohio state on the, uh, you know, uh, transfer market, but it had to have been pretty, pretty sweet. I mean, you have, you know, guys going to Texas where <laughs> they're showing up, you know, and potentially least I guess Lamborghinis or something like that, you know, I mean, so point being like, Again, it it just goes to show, you know, one of the things that keeps coming up that people are always like, Oh God, you can't tell me that Oklahoma fans wouldn't want to trade back and, and bring on Lincoln Riley back instead of having Venables. And I'm like, I, I look at it and I think, well, aside from the fact that he took that Riley took off like that, like, I mean, the state of the program was not, was not good. They had a great quarterback and then they had a lot of players who weren't developing, weren't living up to billing. And that showed when they finally got out on the market that, and you, you know, teams could kick the tires and potentially bring them in. It just, it was not, it, it did not, it did not speak well of Riley's roster building in my opinion.
1: Yeah. It's also, I mean, you know, a little bit of expected too when, when we, myself included, when I say that we look at things like BCR, talent composition, and things like that, it, that just takes raw numbers. Was this person a four star or five star when they were recruited? As you said, Oklahoma missed out. I mean, Oklahoma had a lot of four and five star, maybe not a lot of five stars, but four star players transfer out, and they went ended up going to you know Northwest Mexico State. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. They, they didn't, so it was like maybe that BCR stuff where Oklahoma is sitting at like 72%, but like, what is that real 72%? You know, Michigan was saying that 52%, I believe, in this one, the national championship, but were there three stars more like four-star? I mean, it, there's just a thing there of, uh, of the recruiting apparatus and recruiting that caught its industry around rating high school talent. Are they really this mm-hmm. way? Stuff like that uh, what kind of shakes out once you see uh, uh, college coaches uh, leave their spot. Uh, the last one in favor of Khalil Houghton. Houghton. Real last quick, name? Peyton. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Can, yeah.
0: Can I jump in on that? Real you can quick? jump in. So, um, you know, Alan gave the the very analytical like take on the comparison between the two programs, losing coaches in different situations, and the fallout immediately thereafter. And we as OU fans have a little bit more time to kind of look back on it, whereas Alabama it just happened. I'm gonna be super OU fanboy for five minutes. Or maybe, hopefully, less than that. I'm going to be a huge fanboy. OU is a better program than Alabama. And that is because Alabama is Bear Bryant and then they are Nick Saban. So you've got two colossal behemoths of coaching personalities. Alabama football was Bear Bryant. Even under Barry Switzer and especially under Bob Stoops OU football was OU football it wasn't Barry Switzer and it wasn't Bob the only time that a coach probably had the same name brand like recognition with the country was Bud Wilkinson and that was just because of you know 47 games in a row and that was the first coach that was truly great um on a national stage For the University of Oklahoma. But obviously, OU has been able to build off of Bud Wilkinson's success with Barry, then Barry into Bob. And to a lesser extent, Lincoln won a lot of games in his short time as the head coach. And Brent hopefully is on that same trajectory of being the next great successful head coach at OU. All that to say, in between um, Bear Bryant and Nick Saban, there is a whole bunch of what the fuck at Alabama. I mean, we we pride ourselves as OU fans like Peyton, you and I, we've talked about this a lot about how OU does not tolerate failure for long. We don't have failure in our blood. Um, if it happens, OU pivots and finds the guy rather quickly. The only time that they've not done so was that five-year period in the 90s. So, yeah, like Alabama has more national championships and because they had Nick Saban as their head coach and he's a fucking alien and he is the greatest coach of all time. Um, but if you just take a huge step back and look at everything, like from the beginning of college football on, I know Alabama has a lot of national championships that they claimed because that, that used to be kind of a joke before Nick Saban was that, oh, I bet Alabama will claim that national t- title. I mean, hopefully some older millennial and Gen X fans remember that those days um, when Alabama national titles were kind of a funny meme by themselves. Uh, but I, I think... I don't know how much of that has to do with, you know, players being retained um, at OU compared to when Lincoln left, compared to when Saban left Alabama, and just it's just a flooding exodus out of the program. Um, I do think though that some there is something to say about the magic of OU's program and that it is able to to withstand colossal change, whether it be through um, different eras of play, different coaching styles, different landscape of how rules are legislated or whatever. Like, OU football is constant. We are always good. Alabama, unless they had Bear Bryant or Nick Saban, have proven to be very average to forgettable. Um, Fans my age, until Nick Saban got there, we have memories of Alabama, but that's just because OU played them twice in two pretty fun games in the early 2000s. During that time, they were fucking terrible. So um, I think that that has something to do with it. When you go to Alabama just for Nick Saban and he's gone, no one cares that Alabama won three titles in the 70s and one of which they only won because OU was on probation in 1973. So I know that that's technically incorrect because of the national title um, discrepancy between Alabama and OU, and I know, like, Gen Z and millennial fans are going to be like, Nick Saban was better than OU's program altogether just by himself. I'm looking at this from like the 100,000 mile view and looking down at both programs. OU fortunately has been able to become an icon of themselves, whereas Alabama is completely reliant on hopefully Kalen DeBoer is like the next great iconic coaching figure because our history has proven that unless we have one of those guys coaching us, we're not that good. So tough gig, Kalen. So that's me being a fanboy.
1: No, no, I, I will say when, when the Riley stuff went down, obviously, there was a lot of national media, which I railed against quite a lot, that talked about the, you know, the death of Oklahoma's program, basically. Uh, and the thing is, they were probably closer to right than they were being wrong, but I think it was because of the wrong reasons. They had said, Lincoln Riley is gone, the program's dead what probably now that we can look back at is basically say, Oh no, Lincoln rally has put this program three years in the hole because of the hollowing out of the roster uh, while he was there. And he got out before the the crack started showing or right as the crack started showing 2021. And now Oklahoma has to make the correct home run hire to fix all this shit. Or Oklahoma is going to be Nebraska very quickly because this is now a five-year turnaround because of it's just a three year of talent drain, you know, the trenches and all that type of stuff across the board and defensive structures and things. Now, very to the credit of a lot of of, of national media members when it comes to Alabama, like look at Split Zone Duo. They just released a podcast yesterday entitled Is Alabama Fucked? Short answer, mm-hmm. it depends. <laughs> Long answer, yeah. here's a 48 minute podcast. Uh, there's a lot of people kind of saying, hey, Alabama's about to have to grow up. They're going to have to learn that, yeah, you're not going to get the Nick Saban discount. You're not going to get everything handed to you how it was when Nick Saban is there. You have to now play by the rules that everyone else is playing at. That's them basically walking to the very edge of the cliff of saying, Alabama might be fucked, guys. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> probably as close as they can do that uh, uh, by saying Alabama's up for a rude awakening. Um You'd-
0: You know, there were some Alabama, you know, there were some Alabama fans that were like, oh, that means Michael Penix is coming, right? Oh, shit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another year of Jalen
0: Milrow. Okay. This is going to be fun.
1: Yep. The, the funnest part is that I follow a bunch of uh, Arizona people, and man, they do not like Jetfish. fish. <laughs> I, th- Ooh, I thought night. we were
0: friends. I yes. thought we were friends.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I did not know. It was, I didn't know. It was, I thought it was just basically like, hey, that's business. But he, they're like, no, buddy. What we're a letting shame. people know we don't they, like you.
0: <laughs> they beat a skeleton OU team in the bowl game, and I wanted OU to win. OU wanted to win. It was a skeleton OU roster. That That's fine. Um, but it just ignited what fan base they had because, oh my God, we beat OU and we won 10 games. Yeah. Oh, never mind.
1: All right. Yeah, so rude, now the last rude awakening. Yeah. Rude awakening. So this is a, a fun little ender for us. Uh, you know, in honor of Khalil being on what seems to be a reality dating show in which he has to learn a foreign language to then woo over uh, a woman's love. Uh, <laughs> congratulations on him for being on TV. Uh, what are our, what favorite reality show would we personally want to be on so uh Brady let's start off with you doesn't have to be a long uh, strong out answer what reality tv show would you like to be on that you maybe would feel like you'd be somewhat successful
0: oh that I would like to be oh shoot I'm not ready for this I thought this was just like our favorite reality tv show oh, I'll skip it I'll
1: skip it I'll do it well do no no, it. No, uh, no I changed the question
0: okay well I can give you two answers oh, so nice. my favorite reality tv show of all time is the Osbournes and maybe I would just like to be on the Osbournes so um i think i could be rather successful if i just show up to ozzy's house and we hang out so how, how's okay. that
1: that that's that is an answer i was thinking more game show related but that's my fault it's my fault uh, reality game show i would do uh just to give alan a little bit of time there because i've thought this through uh survivor with a bullet 100 percent. it would suck but it's the og it created this whole thing um and i i don't know i i can eat i eat rice every day anyway i'd be good at it <laughs>
2: Yeah, mine would be uh, it's on travel. Let's see, or like travel America or something well, something like that. It's on pretty much like once a week. They do a marathon on, on like Tuesdays, maybe or Thursdays, mm-hmm. and then on Saturdays, barbecue pitmasters. I've seen that all of a them. Good one. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, I've seen all of them. Uh, you know, the, it, I don't think they filmed a new one in probably ten years, but it, they it still has a shelf life uh and i i mean i just love seeing the different kinds of uh approaches that the guys take to uh different things and stuff like that and warren Sapp was once a judge on there yep. for a season so yeah, have you yeah, did I'll... you see the uh the version of it I, I don't know if it's
1: called barbecue pit boys but i think netflix has a barbecue yeah
2: yeah they do yeah. and it's um It's more like a season, right? Like Barbecue Pitmasters is basically like they travel around to one spot and bring like three people from wherever. Mm -hmm. It's more of like a like a you know uh, Gordon Ramsay type. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: You guys want a
2: spicy ending? A spicy ending.
1: Yeah, let's do it. I love being spicy.
0: I do have one somewhat loose connection to a it used to be famous reality TV show. So my prom date, my senior year in high school. She grew up and was a um, contestant on, I think it was the Puerto Rican uh, Naked and Afraid show.
2: <laughs>
0: and I'll, I'll I'll, just go ahead and tell you guys this, and this shouldn't be a surprise. Um, that was the only time I ever saw her naked. She was my prom date. So what are you going to do?
1: So no one quickly Google that. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but thank you guys. Uh, let us know where you think Baker Mayfield should end up next in, on this next NFL team or contract. Should he stay put? Should he go somewhere? Or hey, if you're listening this far, thank you so much. Let us know what your favorite uh, reality uh, TV show, game show type of thing is at. Uh, oh, a secondary one would be uh, if I had any real outdoor skills alone. That one seems kind of like a mind fuck being out there yeah, by yourself. Yeah, uh, uh, But anyway... Uh, Thank you so much for Vanessa House for putting up with us and putting up all the curse words. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for OU for uh, not sending us to cease and desist. Uh, But for myself, for Brady, Alan, for Matt, thank you guys so much. And Boomer!